Quentin Tarantino is an incredible filmmaker, and to watch the process, even just being there on set, it's poetry in motion. Say what to nail. Hey everybody, Brian Lally here, and you're about to watch another episode of Brian Lally, Hollywood Native. I'm sitting here with my partner in crime, as always, the man who made this happen. You've heard that before, and it's true, Scott Williams. How you doing, Scott? I'm great, Brian. How are you? I am fantastic, as you know, never better. So who do we have on today's show? Today, Brian, we have a great guest, Andre Dubois. Andre Dubois is a great guest, and he's a lifelong friend of mine. He's going to tell you the story about how he was born in Argentina, moved to Mexico, and then to Los Angeles. After a, a rough kind of childhood, which I was there for, he turned into a consummate artist in his field. Andre is a loving son to his fantastic mother and a wonderful dad. Andre's going to tell you stories about working on fantastic movies like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and hit shows like Sons of Anarchy and Ray Donovan. So you'll want to stick around for this because it's a great episode. Oh, oh. And before you get too enthralled in this week's exciting episode, would you do me a favor? Hit the like and subscribe button if you haven't done it already. If you have done it, thank you so much. Well, I'm very honored today to have a lifetime friend, Andre Dubois, with us tonight. Andre, thanks for coming on. I'm well, really, uh, really excited to get to spend some time with you. Yeah. We're, we're not at a uh, Japanese restaurant. And or there's at no a glass yoke. between us. That's right. <laughs> with my... Partner to my left, to the left side, uh, David Nelson. We call him D. Nelly. D. Nelly. D. Nelly. Andre, awesome to see you. So we're going to get a little background on you so people know where you started. And then, of course, we're going to get into your art, uh, which I'm excited about. So where were you born? Let's see. That's a good question. <laughs> well, a long <laughs> time ago, you don't remember. Myself. Yeah. I was born in uh, South America, in Argentina, in Buenos Aires. And so I'm a porteño which means that I was born in the capital. Left that country in 1968 for Mexico City. My aunt was covering the Summer Olympics in Acapulco, as I recall. Oh, wow. And Perón, who was a fascist dictator, was returning back to power in Argentina. My mom sort of panicked, so we boogied out. And uh, she changed our names. And uh, we lived in La DFA, Mexico City, for like two years. And then I came to Los Angeles where I lived in a place called Cozy Court, which was in West L.A. near uh, Olympic and Sawtell Boulevard, near the 405. Sawtell. Sawtell, yeah. That was the clica in the day back in that neighborhood. I think they're still around. Anyways, around Stoner Park, uh, West L.A. Police Station on Purdue, so I remember that. But yeah, and um, so I grew up in Los Angeles, uh, West L.A., and then eventually I moved into the city, um, Miracle Mile and then Hancock Park and I went to Fairfax High School. Did you? Yeah, you went to Hollywood, so we were rivals in a way. Well, yeah, of course, the Hollywood High Junior Year picture. Oh, yeah, I see that. Oh, you know what's funny? Yeah. Is I brought something for you. I brought a few things for uh, you. Yeah, I'm sure you did. Yeah. You know what? No, 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 I got yeah. a bag here, so yeah. we just... If you, you bring that, if you bring out something, I think you're going to bring out. No, we're going to no, no, throw no, no. down this, this for the first time. This is all good time stuff. And, these okay. are all good photographs. From, oh. you know, good stuff. There's nothing incriminating here. Trust me, folks. There's nothing incriminating here. So, I mean, you guys, obviously, you know, you tune in and you watch some of these interviews that Brian does, and you kind of know what Brian 
does do. Anyways, he's got a picture over there of himself in high school. He really didn't go to high school, neither did I. But anyways, I found some pictures because I love taking pictures of my friends back then. Well, here's a picture of Brian in my house with a beer in his hand. With the Kinks uh, tour. With uh, Frankie Mamalejo. Yeah. Oh, shit. Hey. Look at that. He didn't have any gray hair back then. Uh, <laughs> no maturity yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, we Frank, call him Milky now. Yeah. Milky? Yeah, Milky White. <laughs> That's when we just came in. That's Dana awesome. just came from the Kings concert. So, uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gift that picture to you. Oh, dude. You can have that one. Thank you. 1980. Wow. A long time ago, man. So, I don't even know. And Frankie was a lifetime... Uh, narco detective at hollywood division what was no, he? he was you know what's interesting is he was over at rampart oh shit he was at rampart for a while and then before all that stuff with perez hit the fan and all that you know he left prior to that and went to hollywood yes yeah. advice and then of course ran into him once at SeaWorld, you know like and he was running security at the hollywood bowl Last time I saw him was at Kevin Hope's thing at the beach. Mm. Yeah. I didn't attend that one. No. But then I think he got out of the police force because he always really wanted to be a fireman. And he got involved. So I think that's really? rumor. Oh, I don't know. But you never that. know. But here's some other pictures. Brian and I go way back. It's, it's, it's the history that we have growing up as kids in Hollywood. And, uh, you know, being that he was part of a, a group of guys that I looked up to. They had muscle cars. They knew about cars. They worked out in the park. They played basketball at Gardner Park in Hollywood. And they were all gracious enough to allow me to join them and be a part of that, even though it was rough at the beginning. But anyways, Brian taught me a lot of things. Uh, you know, I bought my first muscle car from him, which was a 1965 Mustang GT. 289 high performance boarded out to a 302 as he was describing it to me it's got bucket seats pony interior and a gt racing steering wheel which <laughs> i convinced my mother that i had to have this car and of course i got the car from brian so brian taught me about muscle cars he also taught me how to drive mohol and drive which back in those days was a hot ticket for us kids that were into driving fast motorcycles so he taught me how to drive uh, a car taught me how to drive a, a motorcycle, how to find the apex and the turns. And this was way before the city of Los Angeles got hit to Mulholland and, and repaved it and ruined the fun for all of us. Yeah. But anyways, I not only bought a muscle car from Brian, but I bought a lot of things from Brian. Yeah. I also got my first <laughs> pit bull. Aww. So I have brought a picture of oh, Candio, Candio, which was a red nose. Yeah. And uh, Brian, uh, you can keep this picture too because oh, man. that was one of the dogs in the litter that he and a lot of us neighborhood kids got a lot of those dogs. Oh, yeah. Everybody. And then I brought this picture of me and the dog. And this is how I used to dress back then. I used to get a lot of laughs. Okay. I see. Ah, oh, man. <laughs> Dude, come man. on now. I don't remember you looking like that. Red espadrilles? Yeah, man. Skinny jeans and 19 what? Well, you're wearing skinny jeans. Yeah, now you've kind of kept the tradition going. But uh, So, yeah, so you got to Fairfax High. You got to Gardner Park to the crew. And yeah. because Dana Sauls was your inroad and Dana Davidson was her best friend, who was my girl at the time. Yeah, yeah. but I think it, it was Julie Smith. That's how you got in? Yeah. So, was she already with Tony at that time? No. Oh, okay. She wasn't with Tony yet. 
What ended up happening was, like I was saying, I grew up in West L.A. When West L.A., that part was really shitty. People don't understand. That's like little Tokyo. It's high end. Well, little Osaka now. But, you know, you have all the Japanese nurseries that were there. And where I grew up, you know, was Cozy Court, which was originally was like a motel, hotel thing. But it eventually became, you know, living residences for migrant workers, Hispanics, day workers, day laborers, and stuff like that. Uh, it got torn down in the 80s and stuff. But the area's been regentrified, as yeah. we know. And little Osaka, that strip of Sawtell Boulevard, I mean, you got great sushis, soba noodle houses, incredible stuff. You, you, you had the great karaoke places. Yeah. I'd never been to a private room karaoke until yeah. I went there years ago. Yeah. Anyways, the crew that I ran with in those days... Um, one of my buddies started dating Julie, and that didn't work out. And another buddy and I, Mark Cash, who's no longer with us, and as as you and I know, Julie's no longer with us. She just, just passed last away week. a couple of days ago. Yeah, she was the one that brokered the deal between the two crews, I believe. Yeah, because what ended up happening was my buddy, who was dating Julie, when they broke up, he was upset about it. So we went to your park with cans of spray paint and we crossed out all your graffiti art and put up bars and you guys were like who are these guys and it started a little bit of a you know back and forth between us and then julie was the one that brokered the deal to allow us into the neighborhood since i moved into the neighborhood my first place was on six and sweetser right i didn't you know that yeah you guys at first you didn't accept us so much but eventually we warmed up to you guys and you guys taught us a lot of stuff you know you guys were running all kinds of money scams which we had no idea about you know uh, all all we were doing was uh, you know taking uh, returned bottles from the back of loading docks at the supermarket and then driving out to Fillmore actually Palmdale Lancaster to return those bottles to make some money you guys taught us about eh, ticket scalping and all kinds of way to make money construction didn't we do construction well i don't know if we did construction we were supposed to but yeah i got everybody a gig and we we were a bunch of fucking morons i had done it but i hired you and and joe davis, joe davis and that was the funny thing joe davis used to come to work and just go to sleep <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 jd <laughs> would come to work and go to sleep so what we would do is we would take his shoelaces and we'd tie like like milk crates big plastic milk crates to his feet and we were down in a bad part of town front of our, at hoover no this was like olympic in alvarado yeah, it was right. like you know, so pico union yeah yeah so it was not a, it was a bad fucking neighborhood so we had to watch our cars out front so joe would fall asleep every friggin' day we'd go to capital burger on the way down get a sandwich and then joe would fall asleep we'd tie the shit on him and then we'd go we go <laughs> Joe, Joe, the Mexicans are stealing our cars. And we'd all run by and he'd get up and start running. He had milk crates tied to his shoes. <laughs> nice. And then he'd be like, hey, dude, that's fucked up, man. That's yeah. fucked up. You did that, dude. Wake up. But we did that yeah, until, did that. until. Good summer jobs. Yeah. What would you be doing construction-wise? We worked for a slumlord, and we had to remodel these big L.A. homes that were turned into, Apartments. like, four units, and they just put, like, a toilet hanging out of the wall. I mean, it was some fucked up shit, so we, we had to go and take tear down the drywall that was wet and cracked and put up drywall and paint and stuff like that. But when we got there, the house was full. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely full, so we, we broke up teams, 
And then we started throwing shit at each other. Like we're throwing TVs at people running by from the upstairs, yeah. you know? And we had BB guns. We're shooting at each other. It was fucking yeah. insane. Yeah, but we were, we're getting paid to do stupid things. And we're yeah. throwing furniture at each other, you know, out of the second floor window, man. I remember I was in this short, like, kind of sunroom back in the day when it was a nice place. And I was standing in the middle of it, and someone threw a rock and just right hit me right in the back of the head. I remember kind of, you know, going out a little bit. It was it was nuts. I think Ned had a fucking uh, pellet in in his skin. Yeah. You know what I mean? He had to have it surgically removed. Yeah. yeah. So, Those times, yeah. things are different. Yeah. You know? That was a very interesting time in our lives, I think. I, uh, <laughs> I think that's a lot of the reason why the city of Los Angeles has changed so much is, uh, I always say, probably because of us. <laughs> I remember, let's take Park La Brea, for example. Yeah, Stalag La Brea, I call it now. Park La Brea never had security, never had fences, just had people living there. Well, it had security, but all the guys were like 70 years old. So we Yeah, just... so you used to be able to go up to the fire escape and go up to the top of the roof, and during Halloween was the best time. We'd steal these big pumpkins yeah. from people's front yards and take them up to the top of the mm. roof. And there'd be four buildings, so we'd throw it off one side. Just We'd do it just so we could hear that kaboom echo. Dude, how yeah. loud was that? I mean, that was unbelievable. It was like a fucking explosion. Exactly, because it was in between the buildings, so it was just like kaboom! Yeah. yeah. And we had friends that lived in those buildings, so it was easy for us to just go back into the apartment and hide when yeah. it came. But yeah. You know what's funny is, get, let's get back to the Mustang. Before I bought the Mustang... You sent me into Park La Brea, gosh, this was so long ago, and I stole four hubcaps. Mm -hmm. He gives me a screwdriver this big, right? Yeah. And he goes, listen, over here at this address, there's this Mustang. I need you to go get these four rims for me. And if you give me the four rims, I'll give you a little vial of honey oil. Yeah. Now, this is the 80s. Now, a lot of people don't know what honey oil is. And at that time, Mount St. Helena's erupted. Right. So everybody's weed crop was bombed. This guy had boxes of these little vials that he was like, nobody wanted it. Then all of a sudden, he was a hot ticket in town. Yeah. So I go, I steal the hubcaps, gives me a vial of honey oil. Years later, I buy that car. I had to sell the car in order to pay for a lawyer for some shit I got into, stupid stuff. So, Anyways, so Park, bad karma. Park La Brea used to not be you know, fenced in, and it was mostly a retirement uh, yeah. place. So we would go in there at night. And we'd steal the car, and we'd take it up to Mulholland, and we'd race it, and then we'd bring it back. Nice. <laughs> yeah, because these people would go to sleep at 6 p.m. Yeah. yeah. And right so, back there. Yeah. So one time, we wanted to steal these beauty rims off a, off a Camaro. And so we undid them. We didn't have a jack, though. We thought we could, you know, with four or five of us, we could lift up the side and get them off. And we couldn't. <laughs> and so I don't know why, because we weren't like this, I guess we were. So we didn't put the nuts back on, the lug nuts back on. Mm -hmm. And the guy drove out in the morning, and all four <laughs> wheels fell off. And one of our, you know, it was a big tow truck group, you know, where we grew up. Uh, big, uh, and, and they got the call to go over there. Yeah. <laughs> the PG the boys. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, but Hilarious. Park La Brea, there was, there was a Well, also stories. La Brea Tarpets was not fenced in. Remember, we no. used to go there late at night and yeah. exercise our dogs. Yeah. We would make the dogs sit on one end of the grass field, mm -hmm. and we would walk across that grass field and then call our dogs, and they would run. That's how we would exercise. But yeah. back then, you know, yeah. listen, 
your Saturday morning, if you didn't see a bunch of bicycles, beach cruisers in front of Brian's house, somebody was doing it somewhere else, yeah. you know? It's like every now and again, I get happy when I see those pictures on social media, you know, like if you recall this, and it was just somebody's front yards with a bunch of bicycles. Like yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And if you didn't have a swimming pool back in those days, we'd go up to what? The, the reservoir up there in Beverly Hills and yeah. we'd go cliff diving. Yeah. But like okay. idiots. Okay. So here's the cliff diving story. So it's you and Kevin Hope and uh, Andrew Goldman and you're like, we're going cliff diving. And I go, okay, I'll go watch. I didn't, you know, I don't really like heights. And so we get up there. And I've just got my, yeah, I just got my clothes on, and these guys are standing around, and no one's jumping. I'm like, what the fuck do you guys bring me up for? So I strip down to my boxers, and I jump. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm <laughs> like, I don't know what the fuck you guys are doing. Everybody's scared to go, so I jump, and then it's obviously deep enough, and then Drew dives. I just jumped, and the thing is, when you're going down, and you're like one, two, three, yeah. you're going a long way down. It's fucking weird. It and is. then Drew dove, which was kind of crazy. So then we well, went. Well, you had to have a running start because you had to. Yeah, you had to get off there. You couldn't out. do it off the edge this, this because the, you might hit. Yeah. But you had to run, and you're running down this like gravelly hill. And yeah. this is Stone Canyon Reservoir. So it's. And all it, that's like fenced in, not like you can't. Well, I, I don't know how you could get there because we just, I think we walked by David Crosby's house. You just go up someone's driveway, which you used to be able to do. Now yeah. it's all fenced in. People call the cops on you. Totally. The shit we did yeah. going up to Greystone playing uh, sure. Team Ditch, you know. But the thing is, is we'd go up there with all the girls. And so you'd be hiding in a bush with a girl and you'd be fucking you know making out so that's yeah. that's why we did it the girls and guys you know yeah. go up there we did but that's up at graystone mansion but we would park on the street in truesdale estates you know if we parked a beater on the street today in truesdale estates it would be towed in 10 minutes and we'd be arrested yeah. you know what are you doing here yeah and you we were just here we just climbed over the fence and it was just great to get julie and lisa and dana and dana and everybody, everybody up there at night so yeah, that's just crazy, the shit we did that you can't, you know, you just get arrested for. Well, yeah, L.A. Yeah. has changed so yeah. the times. Yeah. You yeah. with the dog thing, like walking the dog downtown now is like, you got you to gotta keep your head on a swivel. Yeah, listen, I still live in the neighborhood, you know, that, I, that we grew up in. I don't stray too far from the corner I grew up on, but, you know, I have two pit bulls. And, you know, if I cross the street, I'm in the 90210. Right. And I may be smoking a cigarette. There's no smoking in the city of Beverly Hills. This is a true story. During COVID, it must have been around 11 o'clock at night, and I decide to walk my dogs on the Beverly Hills side of the street. I'm smoking, walking my two pit bulls, and a cruiser comes up, and he goes, Hey, what are you doing? I look around like, there's no cars, nobody on the street. I'm literally across the street from my crib. What are you doing here? I said, I'm walking my dogs. And he goes, No, no, you're smoking. I said, I am smoking. I'm outdoors. He goes, you're smoking in Beverly Hills. There's no smoking in Beverly Hills anymore. And then he says, where do you live? And I, I'm like, what difference does it make where I live? And then that's when I decided to jaywalk in front of them across the street and go into my house. And then they left me alone. But, yeah. you know, things change. You can't, yeah. you know, Hollywood isn't the Hollywood that we used to know listen i remember a train going down santa monica, santa monica boulevard every i mean night at, i remember going to a bowling alley on the corner of santa monica and la cienega then i remember it becoming a roller skating ring where flippers Flip, flippers disco, where roller used, disco. now i get my prescriptions filled there at cvs yeah yeah that's just the drag it's a cvs when it you know when it was other things i mean just that it's a fucking cvs or rite aid cvs 
I think it's one of those. Yeah, but it's just a fucking drag that they've taken some landmarks and turned them right. into CVS. I mean, look it at the just... Beverly Center. When we were in the neighborhood, what was that? It was pony rides. Exactly. It was pony rides in Kitty Land. And was what a... was before Mamesson Sofitel? Tale of the Pub. Yeah. Eddie Blake's. Yeah. Prior to the Hard Rock, all this stuff. And listen, I think it's great when you have, you know... I don't like the word gentrification, you know. I mean, sure, it's great for neighborhoods, build them up. It, we've seen it happen all over the country. East Coast, New York. Look at Soho. Look at the East Village. You know, if you've been to New York, it's the same thing, you know. And we learn to adapt to our surroundings, and, you know, we fall into what is in town, whatever it is that you choose to do, you know. For me, it was meeting a buddy of yours, Ray Vieira. Yeah. And I got into fashion because yeah. he was in fashion. And I was working in the Schmata business, which is rags in Yiddish. Man, Brian, you know what I love doing? Yeah. I love tapping that subscribe button. Mmm. I love it too, son. And just like all your dates, I tap it last. But nothing's as good as tapping this button. You see Brian here? He's not always doing the best, financially, mentally, physically, for sure. You want to help keep Brian off the streets of Hollywood? There's a way you can help. Join us on Patreon. You want to tell him what we got on there, buddy? Yes, we have the general admission, we have the backstage, and we have the VIP all-access pass. So please, join today. I'm due for a bath. In the arms of <laughs> angel, in downtown LA, pushing carts and things like that. Did I, you I, work with Will Dawson too? No, no, just Raviera okay. for years. I mean, I spent like almost, you know, between going to LACC and the, you know, with Freddie Eichowitz, another buddy of ours, we were in the theater department there, you know, and working downtown you know we just sort of fell into that i fell more into fashion you know and did that for a really long time you know before you know settling into what i really really wanted to do you know creatively in this town in those days you got grandfathered in you know i was the last of the mohicans i would say you know i mean kevin hope built sets his uncle was a set builder right you know? You know, you look at Robert Rustler, fell into acting. His dad was in the business, too, you know. The story I heard about Rustler, I don't know if it's true. I'm going to have Rustler on here, too, on the podcast. Well, you know, he has an acting thing just like yeah, you yeah, do. Yeah, He's yeah. down yeah. in Venice. I, yeah, I follow, I follow it. Cool. Yeah, I follow him. Yeah, I want to go down there and actually watch him. I heard he walked into, was it ICM or was it Triad? I know, who bought Triad? William Morris or IC? Anyway, he went into one of the big agencies and was like, you know, I'm going to be a star or something. I'm just paraphrasing. They signed him and he did that film Shag. He was in, yeah, um, he he was was in The Outsiders. Nightmare on Street 2, I think. Yeah. But his early manager, Doris Robinson. Right. Matt Robinson's mom and Holly Robinson. who Right. Um, Holly Robinson Pete. Yes. Right. She was an agent in this town and, you know, Robert got a lot of work. He worked no, a lot. No, he did. He worked yeah. a lot. Did some John Hughes movies. Yeah. And he's had his contacts. You know, he did Weird Science with Robert Downey Jr., who was around a lot. In the yeah, they're still buddies. The yeah, yeah, they are. Josh Brolin from Thrasher. And, you know, these are all guys that, you know, we just remember being around in Hollywood at the right. time. I just remember one night at the grand opening of the Hard Rock, 
cafe at the Beverly Center. Once the Beverly Center there in Hollywood was all set up, we went to uh, a dinner there, a bunch of us, and it was everybody from Weird Science. Even LeVar Burton was there, Charlie Sheen, Emilio Estevez. You know, this was before a lot of the Brat Packers, you know. It was yeah. just about to happen, you know. Yeah. And it was good times, you know. It was yeah. really, really good times. Demi was, Moore was in the neighborhood. That's right, Demi Moore. She was married to the musician, I think. What was Freddie. Was, that's where she got the name, Freddie Moore. Yeah, the New Cats. Yeah. The New Cats, which is kind of like a new wave band. I think they were a trio yeah. or something like that. Yeah, I used to see uh, Demi out at uh, the bowling alley when it was Kirkwood back in the day, and I was living out there, and she'd come in and talk to me at the bar. Freddie wasn't happy about that. He's <laughs> like, what are you doing in here? I can't remember the last time I saw her. I know the last time I saw her. I saw her 35 years ago, right before I got sober. I was about, I was, I was homeless about ready to die i ran into her at jerry's deli mm -hmm. and i walked by and she was like hey brian i mean i look like death yeah that was the last time i saw her before she went uh nuclear so it's been 35 years she used to come when i bartended jerry she used to come in and visit me yeah. with the with the brat pack she'd call me whenever she came in she'd come back to the barn yeah and talk yeah you know i still run into some of those people that we grew up with that are now heavily involved in the business and then we'll double take each other you know right. what i mean i just remember she had that apartment on willoughby was it this was before she was roommates and uh, no she, this was after she was roommates with andre dayon remember sure yeah. that lived over there off of melrose place but it was over there by laurel elementary with it we used to go skating the banks yeah right there yeah and she had the apartment upstairs but I did run into her at the Beverly Hills Hotel about 10 years ago, and I was with Andrew Goldman. Right. And she was with Elizabeth McGovern, and they were having lunch or something, and uh, I was there with a client, and they met me there just to come by, and Andrew went and approached the table, and security surrounded him. And oh, really? Like, and she was like, no, no, this is a buddy of mine, and we went to school together. It was, it was a moment, but yeah. Mm. You know, so it's always nice when you run, in, you know, run into your old friends that you grew up with and went to school with, whether it's Anthony Kiedis or Michael Balzario from Flea and from the Chili Peppers and stuff like that, that we all went to school. Saul Hudson slash John Burroughs Jr. High. I mean, come on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, when we weren't walking around the neighborhood seeing which houses were for sale with an empty swimming pool that we could skate. Dude, you know, when we used to go pool hopping, and it was, and a lot of us, this is when, this is before you got there, uh, we were young. And a lot of brothers used to come to the park, didn't live in the neighborhood, but came to the park because their parents didn't want them at Queen Anne Park because sure. that was a fucking early Crip park. It was mm -hmm. fucking deadly. So they came down to play sports at Williams Brothers, Andre, Andre, Andre Robin, Robin Hill. All these cats would come down and then we'd go pool hopping which is you'd knock on the front door if no, no one was home. You jumped over their wall, mm -hmm. and you went, you went swimming in their pool yeah. just in the neighborhoods. Could you imagine, you know, all these things we talk about, that's just shit we used to just walk around in our shorts, no towels, mm -hmm. and we'd just be jumping in people's yeah. backyards, man. A bunch of brothers no, uh, back then jumping in yeah. some place. No cameras. No cameras uh, to no, worry no about. No, no cameras. One time we knocked on, it was Randy Willen's house, and Cindy, uh, Cindy Montgomery, still friends with her, but we knocked, they opened the door, and Gary Sloat ran through the house and into the pool while they were home. 
it was it, anyway but it was crazy times i mean so, uh, you know you're talking about all this stuff in the hills and stuff like that and i'm thinking about the wonderland killings and starwood know. yeah you know eddie nash the kit kat well jennifer Ballou got arrested at eddie nash's house for during when he got arrested for the murder she was yeah. on the front page of the times man. i mean I, look, it's amazing that we're here talking and, you know, reminiscing. Kids at home, don't try this. <laughs> I talked to him on Facebook. Uh, he's brought up Anthony Keaton as Johnny Carson's sister, Jennifer. Mm. I, I hadn't run into Johnny. That's Johnny Carson with a K. I haven't run into Johnny. And, and he was doing sound for a friend of mine's play and Flea. And Anthony came because she was friends with them, sat next to Anthony. But Johnny, Johnny was there. That's got to be 25, 30 years ago, and I haven't seen him, but I saw Jennifer on Facebook, so I just you know hit her up and said, what's up? She said, and this was within the last year, I think, she said they had just sold the house on Martell. It's just crazy, man. I mean, because you know, we sold the house on Gardner in 2006. JK. And, yeah. I haven't seen him since Tommy's Burgers, and I haven't had a hamburger. I don't know. I haven't eaten meat in I don't know how long. Yeah. I was probably like 18, 19 when I became a vegetarian. Really? Yeah. I stopped eating meat when I was 18. I haven't had beef in 30 plus years. Yeah. Well, Almost 40. Y'all are tripping. Yeah. Well. <laughs> oh, you like it? We meat? can't. Yeah. We Listen, can't. Well, I'm you, from Argentina. Yeah. I'm the only Argentinian that doesn't eat well, meat. He's yeah. from Florida, so, you know. Yeah. He's strange as fuck. Like so and nothing not like a ribeye. Rib I've been to Florida. I'm like a brown eye. Yeah. monsoon season there, like all the oh, time. yeah. Every afternoon, pretty much. Pretty much. I made a film called Dunsmore there in 2002 in August. Um, I'm oh, wearing yeah. a polyester deputy's uniform <laughs> in August in Orlando. Man, that was... Uh, yeah, but I met Earl Brown there, man. Earl Brown's a phenomenal actor, man. He, was, he did great in that film, and he was, wasn't unknown. But he was the first guy to get ejected out of John Malkovich's head. <laughs> and being John Malkovich, and he was the handicapped brother in Something Spike About Mary. Jonah. Yeah, and Something About Mary, he was the handicapped brother. Franks, oh, yeah. Franks and Beans, yeah. Franks and Beans. <laughs> but he's done a lot of great work recently. Yeah. So he was on uh, Deadwood. So anyway, but so got to work with him. Yeah. It was cool. So. so you're working in fashion. How old are you when you're working in fashion? I think I started doing that in my early 20s. I don't think I was even 21 yet. So, yeah, it started about then, when I was about 20. I spent... Oh, shit. Okay, so Ray's married to Dana's sister. Yeah, And Debbie. has been forever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's who we were talking about. The connection, how I met him was... How I remember meeting him was with Dana Salls. Yeah, we went to see Greece mm -hmm. at the Fairfax Theater. We went to Fairfax because my cousin was the manager in Westwood. We went a bunch of times there. But we did see it. I remember at going at Fairfax? on a date. Yeah. God, the Fairfax is boarded up now. I mean, yeah. they, they last as long as they could. That's going to go. Yeah. That's a drag. A Fairfax I mean, it's a shame theater. when, like, you think about, like, downtown L.A. and a lot of the theaters that used to be down there mm -hmm. that just got Terrible. boxed up and torn down. Yeah. You know? I mean, Tarantino bought. Uh, yeah, the, the New Beverly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good thing. I mean, there's always good stuff going on there. But I like seeing God, film, we know? were so fucking young. I remember going to the New Beverly. We saw, like creature from the black lagoon and the thing is i didn't want to see the movie but julie and lisa and dana everybody was yeah. going and the girls were sitting up a couple rows and we had vodka in our cokes <laughs> and we were sneaking up and scaring the girls we were just we were fucking young man you know yeah. what i mean that kind of shit 
I mean, we grew up watching movies and stuff. I mean, I remember going to see Scarface. I won't mention the names, but it was an eight ball of cocaine involved and not vodka, but tequila. I had a uh, 63 Ford Econoline van, the Trick 6, and the seats didn't weren't bolted down. So we would go to the Gilmore Drive-In and we'd pull the seats out and we'd put them on the top and then we had a blanket and the girls would snuggle up and it yeah. was just... We would go to the drive-in on our bicycles. Yeah. Yeah, sit in the back, turn up the sound. The Pan Pacific, that dirt lot. Yeah. Yeah. That the Gilmore drive <laughs> Shit, you remember the Pan Pacific Theater. Yeah, I remember yeah. skating the roof. Yeah. That was the Pan Pacific Auditorium. Yeah. That was my doing, skating the roof. Uh, it, it, you know, I got pictures of me as a kid because they used to have car shows there and interesting stuff i think elvis presley played there oh, as did. well in yeah 58 yeah i think so yeah yeah and then you got cbs right there that you used to be able to just tear through yeah you just walk in we go to shows and tommy lapena and probably mikey Beat the clock mikey gola they would get uh tickets to the shows and then we would have to pay them a portion of ours these guys are you know became successful businessmen really but they yeah. were they were mm-hmm. young well tommy is a concert promoter yeah, in, in arizona, arizona. yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, Big Thing, he's been doing that for, for years. Yeah. I hung out with him and Schiffman and Tommy's wife a few months ago. Who knows? Like, probably 10 years ago. Time goes so fast. But no, just recently. But they would get ticks to these shows, and you would get, like, $11 to go to the show, and you have to give them a couple bucks of yours. That's right. To get in anyway, but you could just go in there. But what I didn't do, there's a lot of things I didn't do. I was going to write Waimea Bay on the top of the Pan Pacific Auditorium <laughs> and have us skating up there and have someone get a picture. going to send it to, you know, uh, High Times or something. Anyway, so fashion, I guess we got, we got yeah, I told them we could do this for five hours. Uh, just yeah, I mean, you, you should have enough here to maybe make a series out of it. Yeah. Yeah, you're working fashion and yeah. you know what you want to do ultimately during well, this Well, I was involved with a wonderful woman my first wife uh who was an amazing hairdresser and uh when we started dating she saw something in me and suggested you know you should take up hairstyling she goes yeah you're really good with your hands and you're creative and so she put me through Vidal Sassoon Academy here in Santa Monica where I did a 10-month cosmetology course is what they, you have to have a state license, so you have to attend 1,600 hours to become a licensed cosmetologist, hairstylist, which is governed by consumer affairs. You have to study, you know, all kinds of airborne diseases, all this, that, and the other, you know, uh, fungal stuff. Anyway, so I, I went to school, learned hairdressing i graduated from sassoon i worked in beverly hills as an apprentice at a place called doyle wilson actually which was in west hollywood on melrose what i call the adult side of melrose (laughs) and if you don't know what the adult side of melrose is let me tell you it's everything west of fairfax avenue Mm. so as long as we're clear the adult side anyways doyle wilson and uh, i was a junior stylist there and a stylist uh there for a while and then my first wife alicia and i uh, decided that we would open up a hair salon in old town pasadena right which is still there it's like 30 years now so we're doing something right i don't spend a lot of time there uh you know a couple of times a year i go there um to um do clients or color wigs because we have an incredible color lab there yeah in pasadena 
I sort of was groomed for the business because I slowly but surely started picking up clients that were producers, directors, Danny Berger, right. producer, a good friend of mine, Sergio Arguello, incredible DP, and his brother Carlos, same thing. They were in the business way before me. Uh, I have tat tattoos all over my body. I have two tattoos on my hand. One of them is propaganda, and the other one is anonymous. And people say, well, propaganda and anonymous, what does that all mean? Well, I started out in Hollywood as a PA, a production assistant. Basically, I was taking out garbage. Yeah. And I worked for propaganda films, mm -hmm. which eventually became what? Anonymous content. Okay. So I always give propaganda props for hiring me on yeah. shoots just to take out plastic liners out of the garbage, which I used to just spill coffee. And I, that's why on sets, I never put it a glass or a cup full of fluids inside the liner because I would wear it by the end of the day. Right. But that's sort of was my introduction. And I got into film and television hairstyling. Um, and I entered that by sort of being grandfathered in, and that's through friends that were in the business. And I became union vested, very proud to be a union member. IOTC, local 706 out of Los Angeles here. Whoa, whoa. That's right. So I was fortunate enough to have a great mentor, uh, Mr. Larry Wagner, and I've had several. Um, he's an incredible hairstylist. The last show he just did was the uh, Anne Rice TV series, which I believe which is on Discovery, I think. I'm yeah. not to plug a network. But is it the interview with a vampire? Is yeah, that what it was? they did a TV series, and he <laughs> yeah. did some incredible incredible hair designs on that and incredible so i sort of you know been kicking dirt in the in the hair department in this town for about 22 years now something like that over forty thousand hours uh so a long time and i yeah i transitioned from fashion into hair it's creating shapes it's the same thing you do with fabric mm -hmm. you know you drape fabric on a form and you create a dress, a garment, a, a suit. It's the same thing with hair. You create things with it and visualization. Yeah. And it's a process, like we all know. You know, I expressed this to you a while back in, in some text messaging that we do. I believe that the creative process is a roundtable collaboration yeah. of like-minded individuals that bring the word on the page to life. When you're a director and you have a vision, a writer, you know, you wrote the screenplay. You have a vision for all these characters, for your story. Yeah. If it comes off the page, an actor's going to look at it and he's going to become the character that he's reading for. He's going to really get behind that. And the process is that. It's a roundtable collaboration. Yeah. And we try to check our egos at the door, you know, and, and we all try to put as much as we have into what we're doing yeah i think that's the beautiful pro i think you'll agree with me no i do agree oh check you go at the door is big and when russell crowe was new and he was having a lot of uh you know problems i worked with him on uh, la confidential we Great spent movie. we spent a half a day together and he was a nice guy he was just a good dude and his character was very quiet when he wasn't you know beating people up you've been watching brian lally hollywood native now I want to talk to you about something I'm really passionate about, and that's teaching acting. So I co-founded Lola's Acting School with my son, Kyle Lally, Lally or Lally Acting School. I've been acting for a, a long time now, of 100-plus credits on IMDb, 
hundreds of plays I've been involved with over the years, and I just want to share that experience with you. What we do differently here at Lola's is we give you practical advice that you can use on a movie set, on a play, an audition, anywhere. We give you the foundation to build yourself as a great actor. If you come to us, you don't know anything. We can teach you everything you need to know to be comfortable on a, on a set and to excel. Don't just listen to me. Look at what our students are doing. Daryl Wesley, who is writing on two hit shows, The Game and The Upshaws, and Ben Barrett, who is a series regular on The Politician, Megan Davis who is uh, playing Amber Heard in the Johnny Depp Amber Heard story. Come check us out. We're at the Historic Arc Theater in the NoHo Arts District. You ever want to try plant-based eating? I have. What, you're a little confused, overwhelmed, you don't know how to get started? Definitely. Well, there's a simple answer to that. Go to Debbie Chu's Chew On Vegan YouTube channel. Debbie Chu is a plant-based RN. I've known Debbie for over 38 years, and she's very good at what she does. You go to the channel, and there's 300, over 300, recipes. They're simple, easy to make, and they're delicious. If you want to try it, you just might get healthy. Give it a shot. Chew on vegan. But, uh, and people ask me, they said, what was it like working with Russell Crowe? I said, it wasn't Russell Crowe yet. That movie made him Russell Crowe. But the thing is, and look, the, the reason people act out, there, there's a reason for it. You know what I mean? So sure. he was a good dude to me. Anyway, so what I wanted to say was they asked him around that time about directors and, you know, and him, uh, you know, being so, um, you know, volatile and, and wanting to do what he wanted to do. He said, I'm here to make the director's movie. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like he has a vision. I'm not here to make my movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I didn't expect that to come out of him. But again, I don't know exactly what went on with his stuff. You know what I mean? So I'm saying that you're exactly right, and I think most people feel that way. Mm -hmm. Very early on, I was doing a film. A guy was an editor, and he wanted to make this film. And, and, and it, looked, it looked great, but the guy who paid for it wasn't a very good actor. Mm. But he was a French-Canadian dude. We're going back 28 years. And this guy was on a cell phone to Canada, like, during the night for, like, ever. What was it back then? Five bucks a minute, this guy? <laughs> anyway, had a lot of money. And we're doing this film... And this director, you know, he wanted me, I was playing a cop, and he wanted me to kind of do this thing. And I didn't really understand it. And again, I, don't under, I didn't understand like you're talking about someone's vision, but I liked the guy and he was good to me, so I did it. And so the whole vibe of the show, you know, they went to where these gangsters, these guys found a wallet, it was called The Wallet, and they ended up at this gangster mansion, great, great fucking, uh, you know, crane shot on this thing anyway. And everybody kind of talked like this. You know what I mean? So I had this kind of Clint Eastwood thing going on. And when I saw the film, that was his vision. And I learned pretty early on that you don't know why. It may seem stupid. Mm -hmm. You don't know why. But you don't know the guy's fucking vision. Right. And his vision was kind of like this kind of low kind of thing. Sure. Anyway, so, yeah, you're right. Check your ear out the door. And, yeah. and there's a man who's controlling the whole film, mm -hmm. every aspect of it. And you have to collaborate with him. Exactly. Yeah. Collaboration is everything. I mean, you're working within budgets. You're working within time. It's all these things. When I get a script and I'm reading it, in my mind, each line I'm reading is I'm visualizing <clears throat> what this character is going to physically look like based on what's written on the page. And I have to come up with some idea of what I think he or she looks like, what that character is, you know. 
and research is everything if you're doing period piece, you know? You got to get out there. You know, you can get in the room. It's real easy to get in the room in this town. It's really easy to get in this room. It's what are you willing to stay relevant, you know, to stay within that creative room. I've never been in the war room in a writer's room. You know, I can only imagine what goes on in there. You know, we get the pages, we create, we put it together. Actor walks into the trailer for the first time or I get a phone call or a meeting and we start to talk about what the character feels, what is their interpretation. Mm -hmm. And usually it's about the same. Yeah. You know, and you have a conversation and all this stuff changes and it evolves and it becomes that person. Yeah. Are you also getting uh, who's in mind for the cast when you get the script to no. like see what the actor Typically, I don't like? have anything to do with casting. I mean, sure, you can be reading something and you think, oh, wow, Tom Hardy's great for this. Yeah. 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 You know no, I, mean? I just meant just off of like a visual, like what you'll do with that specific actor's Oh, of course. Hair. Yeah. <laughs> if I know who was booked for that role, I definitely do. Yeah. I look back, I research what they've done in the past as far as the characters. Most of the time I know their body of work. Mm. And then you're having a meeting with the director to present what how the vision yeah. that you see? Usually uh, the first meeting I ever have is with the director and the producer. Mm. Yeah. Usually we talk <laughs> about what I think of the script, what do I think of the characters, well, how do I see it, you know what I mean? Yeah. That sort of thing. You, you know, with television... You- did you meet with Tarantino at all? When I you did, did not. When yeah. I did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I was doing all of the fittings with a gentleman named David Dannon, great hairdresser. Uh, we did all the fittings, and we worked the big days in the bullpen. And what that means is that we did a lot of the background people because that's all the fittings that we did right. were on thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Let me tell you something that just popped in my head. Let me say, you know Karen Bartek, right? Yes. She was one of the leads on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Karen, yes. Yeah, so she's an old friend of mine. She's going to be on here one day. I thought it was so cool that two people I've known since I was young yeah. were both on Once Upon a Time in yeah, Hollywood. Yeah, that was a great run. Listen, I went to set a bunch of times and worked. It was it was yeah. a great shoot. But I called her after Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and I said, that was the best hair I've ever seen in a movie from that period because it's always too clean. you got to know that. Totally. Those, it's always too clean. And I thought the hair looked like we looked. It was kind of, you know, we did the best we could. But it, it, it ultimately, we were out running around with long hair. It looked a little shaggy. Yeah. And I mean, that movie was full circle for me because working for Tarantino and another childhood friend of ours, Ronna Glickman, right. who worked with Tarantino for many, many years in the early days. Right. You know, and she's gone on to do great things on her own as well. You know, and Karen and even some of my clients that were on that, uh, you know, on that movie. It, that was a good one. Uh, you know, you, you that was, uh, you know, Quentin Tarantino is an incredible filmmaker. And to watch the process, even just being there on set from a distance, you know, and his sets are tight. No cell phones. Yeah. It's, you know, you're on point. And, yeah. And you know who's steering the ship and and to watch the process that he it's poetry in motion you know what i mean sure there's a lot of sweating going on but it's worth it yeah you know and another one of my favorite directors writer david mamet i had a mamet experience years ago doing a a a tv series called the unit Mm -hmm. and he was an executive producer writer on it and i had 
the privilege of working with him and to watch that guy I've always admired his work as a playwright as a director I mean he was incredible on and that show was just you know military stuff but he had a wealth of information that he shared and the thing that was incredible about him was that he remembered everybody's name wow and he made a point to go around in the mornings and say good morning and at the end of the day he you know if we were doing cleanups in the trailer good night guys thanks for a great day it was just it was pretty incredible jerry lewis <laughs> remembered everybody's name wow he'd go around to the crew yeah and i've had some aha moments you know you get to work with some you know listen uh, uh Early on in my career, I mean, listen, uh, I did a movie called Paparazzi with Size, Cole Hauser. Sizemore? Sizemore. Right. And I was not doing Cole Hauser's hair at the time, but I eventually, Cole Hauser became my client. He's yeah. had great success over the years. He's yeah. riding the he's way a, right he's now. He's a great actor. Yeah. yeah. It's Rip Wheeler. He's yeah. incredible. He's about the work. You know, I did a movie w with those guys and Dennis Farina. Mm-hmm was cast on that movie as a detective right and i was assigned him i had the most incredible experience with this guy he was a cop for like 20 25 years in chicago right and he just knew everybody he had all these great stories about and you know he comes from the michael mann camp right you know he sure. did uh what was it he no no it was something he uh, wasn't at man the Hunter. tv show was Manhunter. Oh, was that what it was? I knew it, was it wasn't the movie Heat. I knew it wasn't the movie Heat. FX. Yeah, he'd done a lot, but he had a lot of growth. That was a lot of a lot of fun doing that. You know, in my early starts with Mr. Aaron Spelling, I did a little show, Seventh Heaven, but that was school for me. I was working with guys that were operators on shows like Kojak, all these 70s shows that I grew up in. I learned a lot of old school tricks. You know, I'm a... a I'm a guy that loves the work in the trailer, but I also love being on set. Mm -hmm. You know, I learned early on that as a craftsperson in the industry, as a hairstylist, that I have two best friends on set. That's usually the DP who lights my talent mm -hmm. and the script supervisor for continuity. And I learned to split the difference between the two, you know, cheating stuff here and there for camera, lights, key, this, that, all that stuff you learn. If you don't know, set etiquette the verbiage and you'll learn it if you apply you have to care about what you do you know and anything that you do life in general yeah how about travel you travel much i do i traveled on and off for 10 years all over the place i've done shows in texas new york atlanta Spokane, Washington, all <laughs> over the place. Uh, I traveled a lot with my late wife, who was in the music industry. I was fortunate enough to work a lot with the Lady Gaga camp as B-party hairstylist. And what a B-party hairstylist does um, in a camp that large, B-party handles the dancers, mm -hmm. the band, or anybody basically that's in the music video or in that performance, whatever it may be. The mm -hmm. main talent um, is handled by her own hair and makeup but yeah. i did do that toured with them a little bit here and there worked on a lot of of live music stuff the mm. last uh, project i worked with them was the bowie tribute at the grammys several years back oh wow yeah about what eight <clears throat> years ago now maybe yeah. so that was a good time running in that camp i learned yeah. a lot uh, the creativity you're encouraged to just let it flow and right. be you and that's as an artist that's just 
that's the creme de la crop, you know what I mean? Where you're allowed and encouraged to really... That's cool. Have that freedom. How, yeah. yeah. How did you get involved with uh, Lady Gaga? Well, my late wife, Sonia Durham, she was... Very, very sweet lady. Yeah, she was a... You know, she was something else. Um... You know, she got her early starts working in the mailroom at, like, William Morris, and then she would uh, wait on tables at the Intercontinental Hotel over there on Century, and mm -hmm. she would hear conversations, and she just got in the business, you know? She worked at the firm with Andy Gould, and you know, I think Michael Ovitz was there at the time in the early days, Yorns, a lot of people. And she was the managing director of House of Gaga, so she oversaw a lot of the day-to-day -day operations of a lot of things with oh, management, wow. the label, and that's how I got involved. You know, it wasn't a favor. I had to prove my worth in my work and what I did for that outfit off and on for a long time. Um, you know, and uh, unfortunately, Sonia is no longer with us, but... Uh, you know, I carry that memory. I, I run into people almost on a daily that always say, oh, you're Sonia Durham's husband. Yes, I am. And yeah. I don't talk much about the camp because of all the NDAs that I've signed. And, right. and that's just out of respect, just like I do sure. with anybody, whether it be you or, or yeah. that person. I hold that confidentiality of yeah. the inner sanctum of that yeah. hair and makeup world and that which we live in, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Lady Gaga really cared for her because she actually breaks yeah. down in that documentary yeah. talking about her. So. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I didn't meet her yeah, that, it was, that uh, often, but she was a very sweet... Yeah, she was uh, very supportive, still is, you lady. know, and when I'm in contact with her, and I, I still see and talk to a lot of the people in that camp. She's, she's doing wonderful. I think that she's really uh, an incredible human being. You talk about kindness. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you look that word up in the dictionary and... You know, there's very few pictures there, and she's one of them, you know. And you know, she's, she's I loved it when she got her due for the movie, and I loved the fact that she was on shows talk about, I studied for 10 years, you know what I mean? Yeah. She wanted people to know that she was an actress, and it wasn't a favor to her. It wasn't given to her. No, she's... And she does a hell of a job in that thing, so... Yeah, she's a worker. Yeah. No. She's a worker. But she, she studied, and I have a lot of problems with people who don't that try to just have something given to her so i was really happy uh you know and kind of champion that you know talking to people like sure. she studied for 10 years yeah. she you know this was not a handout and she's very giving look you know that camp is uh very personal to me for a lot of reasons but she took a lot of us Like an artist who does pottery, ceramics, wet pieces of clay, and shaped a lot of our careers, including mine. I mean, I don't drop the name. Sure, I worked in the camp and maybe on my IMDb and my resume, but she took us in clay and molded us yeah. and helped us into a shape and helped us evolve. We were there. <clears throat> she just brought it out. You know, and, and it's a very personal thing. Did you get married at her place? Yeah, I don't talk too much about that. Yeah, oh, okay. we, you know, Sonia and I, we got married on her property. It was an incredible three-ring circus of a fairy tale wedding with burlesque dancers and musicians, and yeah, it was something. It was it was something, you know. And unfortunately, you know, breast cancer 
took Sonia. We got married, and you know, two months later, unfortunately, the disease took her away from right. us. You but know? you were together a long time. We were together, yeah. We were together. The relationship spanned ten years, but you also have to realize that she was on three world tours back to back. And if you know anything about world tours, that's two years on the road. So prior to us getting married, I counted the days that we were together. And if I were to string them along consecutively, I believe it was 228 days. Get the fuck out of here. So we would meet in cities for 24 hours, 12 hours, four-hour layover, any, anything that, that we could do to spend time together. And people would often say to us, you know, what, how is your relationship in Hollywood successful being, Dre, that you, you know, you're constantly working on, on film and television, and Sonia, you're always on a world tour doing this, that, and the other, and, you know... We would look at each other and we'd say, you know, when we're together, we're together. And when we're apart, we just act accordingly. And that's what kept us together, you know. And sure, there was FaceTime and hour differences and schedules and 20 hours on set, you know, running around from one country to the next. But we made it work, you know. We made it work. And it can work. It can work in this town. Yeah. I believe it. I've lived it, you know. Yeah, there's quite a few long-term sure. marriages. With I mean, I always look at Kurt and Goldie, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I like that. Yeah. yeah, so do I. You know, I think it's know. cool. No, thanks for thanks for sharing that. Yeah, that's, no, it's, it, you know, like I said, I, it, that, that's a real personal one. And... Uh, willing to talk about certain aspects of it you know and like i said there's look what comes with this industry is a lot of shiny ornate objects you know we're just like fish swimming in a pool in a lake and we see these shiny little glimmery things on the surface and we're so attracted and enamored and we go swimming to the surface and occasionally we grab onto one of those little shiny objects and we're pulled out of the water and next thing we know, we're on the shoreline flip-flopping, not knowing how <laughs> yeah. up there. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Gasping for air. And the road, the journey, man, it, it's an incredible one. Listen, you know, I've been on this great green earth for 60 years and the road, there's hills and down slopes and there's forks in the road i encourage you to take those forks they'll lead you back on the right path eventually you know what i'm saying and sometimes we take the wrong fork as some of us have and we can get back on track you know yeah. when people care about you and you have a heart you can always come back yeah. you know i look at the industry that is you know giving me um, a career not a job yeah it's a career i'm very passionate about it just like you are mm -hmm. you know i take it very serious you know I, sure it's given me a good life you know listen i was able to put my kid through college good insurance food on the table you know roof over my head you know and it, it, the journey is you know i look at my life as an act uh, a play in four acts I'm in the fourth act of this third play. Third? Third. I don't know. 
I'm not anywhere near. It's just the beginning, you know. Not anywhere yeah. near my final curtain call. That's I'm grateful. That's the beautiful thing too that it's yeah. always changing. It's always a yeah. new challenge ahead of you. Yeah, and I'm yeah. grateful for the friendships that I've had for 40 years. I'm proud to say that I have not only Brian, but you know, guys that I grew up in the neighborhood hanging out on a street corner, you know, trying to stay warm. Uh, at a 7-Eleven. At a 7-Eleven on Gardner and 3rd Street. Right, waiting for the payphone to ring and see what's God, going on. We had a bank of payphones. It was like everybody's office. You'd exactly. call down there, you'd be yeah. like, hey, who's who's there? And then if you felt like it, you came hung out. It yeah, was crazy. Yeah, in my house, my room, my mother, who was an incredible photographer and an artist in her own right, gave me vision, taught me how to use my eyes like a lens. That's awesome. Images, you know? Yeah. She allowed me to express myself on the walls of my bedroom. Poetry, graffiti art, whatever, you know. Yeah. My friends would come over and hawk loogies on the ceiling, <laughs> and they would just dangle there and dry there. That is yeah. But one wall had everyone's phone number on it. So that if you were somewhere like at... 7-Eleven on 3rd and Gardner, but needed somebody's phone number, you could call my house Check the and wall. the directory, there yeah. was the number you needed, and you just call them, you know, it was like 411 without calling 411. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Good times. Good times. I didn't know that about your mother giving you the vision. That's really cool. Yeah, you know, my mom, uh, interesting woman, that one, and then she passed away six months later. You were there. Yeah. You know, we had the memorial for Sonia at the Wiltern Theater, which Live Nation was gracious enough to allow us to have because she was so involved in music. Right. She collapsed there, and then six months later, she passes away of uh, cancer as oh, well. Oh, shit. But, uh, you know, I lost my train of thought. What was the question? I said I didn't know your mother gave you that yeah. vision. When she came to this country, she immediately enrolled in Santa Monica College and learned to speak English and eventually was able to go to Art Center, which was originally on 3rd Street. Sure, because I went to 3rd Street School where they put my desk in the principal's office. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the original Art Center before it moved to Pasadena and yeah. Switzerland and all that stuff was originally on 3rd Street, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was there right next to 3rd Street School. We used to go there after school because they had all the concept cars. Yeah. And I was in the car since I was born, so I'm 10 years old or something. Yeah. So we'd always sneak in there. It was really cool. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's still a great place. The yeah. Art Center so she was Pasadena. going to Santa Monica College right. and working part-time at Fedco. On Fairfax? In no, Fedco on La Cienega. And Rodeo. Rodeo before we became Obama Boulevard. Right. That's old school, man. I yeah. mean, if you, don't, if you know Fedco, yeah. that was the... My prequel to costco my mom would drag me there anyway the so she managed the camera department which basically is where you went to buy cameras mm -hmm. and i would go with her on saturdays and sundays and sit in the tv section and watch sports on tv and eat pizza at fedco while my mom sold cameras she eventually went on to run one of the one of the biggest labs in Hollywood that did a lot of still photography, which was Color Lab on Coanga. Okay, yeah. Which they were contracted with Paramount, which was literally down the street. So they did a lot of 
poster images and this was before they were doing cutouts and stuff like that which was tommy dreesey yeah got into big money game there yeah but anyway so she used to drag me around to galleries all the time and one of the galleries growing up in the neighborhood was fahey klein okay. which is on la brea right a lot of photographers have shown their photography i mean listen i've seen incredible photographers my first I have to tell this story. It was Ansel Adams. Oh, shit. So I was probably about 12, 13 years old. And my mom, you know, because just being a latchkey kid, you know, she tried to take me places, you know, and, and encourage arts. And she always did music, acting, all that stuff. And so she takes me to this gallery that uh, has a show with Ansel Adams. And the first image she takes me to is a very famous picture because he did an incredible landscape. Mm -hmm. so it was Moonrise, Hernandez, New Mexico. If you don't know it, look it up. It's a picture. It's a black and white of a mountain, a full moon. And it is in a town called Hernandez, New Mexico, of a cemetery with a white picket fence around it. You have to see the image in order to really grasp. So she takes me to this image and she says, tell me what you see. And I said, oh, I see a mountain, a moon, and a cemetery. And I start to walk away. And she says, no, wait a minute. Come back. And she says, you see that bench right there? Let's sit on that bench for a second. If you go to a gallery or a museum, you often see benches. And you mm -hmm. think, why are there benches here? You get yeah. tired walking. Sure. The reason they have benches in galleries and in and, and in museums is for you to really take in the image that you're looking at. So she made me sit there. And she really never made me do anything. She actually asked me to sit with her. And she said, now take a look at this image and take a breath and look at it. And then tell me what you see. So I was there for a beat, you know. And then it, the picture came to life. I could see the detail of the chipping paint on this white picket fence that was sort of like, you could see the tombstone. You could see shadows that bushes were making. And that's when I realized that your eyes are like the lens of a camera that captures these images. And that's when I, I, I got my creative eye. Now, since then, I've seen incredible works. I've seen Richard Avedon. I even traveled to New York to the Whitney to see a Richard Avedon show and stand in line for eight hours just to have him sign my book. Harrell, you know, I've, I've seen incredible. William Claxton, uh, yeah, the imagery is everything, you know, visualization. I love black and white, and I love celluloid, you know. I mean, if you're shooting on film, I love it. Sure, the digital and all that stuff's great. But I like the sound of an mm. Ari camera. Yeah. Click, 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 yeah. click, click. The film going, sticking your hand in a bag or going into a dark room. But I appreciate it all, you yeah. know. But that's how I got it. Let me ask Scott Williams was Pamela Dillman the last one we posted? Uh, yes. Yeah. So Pamela Dillman was sitting there. Her mother was Susie Parker. Yes. Avedon's greatest, you know, MTA. MTA, model turned actress. That well, yeah. Yeah. 
I don't, I don't know if she was like that, but yeah. Well, you know, that's what they would call them in the 90s. I, didn't, you know, I did not know that, but I did not. MTA, so, model so turned actress. if you've seen it, then you know that yeah, her yeah. sister was Avedon's, and then he turned to her at 13, and she became the most famous model in the world for 20, yeah. I don't know how many years. But. I mean, he shot some videos. <clears throat> but his work is unbelievable. Oh, it's yeah. stunning. Yeah, you think about <clears throat> when people say, well, who's your favorite photographer? I'll always go Richard Avedon and... Irving Penn, and they're like, who? Oh. Not Annie Leibovitz, which I think is great, <clears throat> yeah. you know? But, yeah, Abaddon, even if you don't know who he is, when you see some of his work, you know who he is. Yeah. Life magazine or whatever sure. it's been in, it's iconic. Yeah, he was a World War II <laughs> correspondent or something for Life and Look magazine. Was he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad was a photographer in World I War II. I think Funny Face, the okay. movie with I'm Fred Astaire was maybe a little bit about Richard Avedon and being that photographer at that time. And then, of course, later on in years, he became the staff photographer for the New Yorker magazine, you know, which is always fun to <coughs> pick up every now and then when you have time to read that cover to cover, you know. So, the New Yorker. So, let me ask you this. Yeah. How has it changed for you when you're, you're new and you're inexperienced and you're looking at, at someone's head, you're... Your clay. How has it changed now with your experience and all your research going into it? You mean as far as the creating of it? The creating of it, your mindset. I go into it with no, I mean, I'm not wearing blinders. You know, like I said, you know, I look at the words on the page and if it comes off, then I dive in head first. You know what I mean? I put in every ounce and contribute every ounce, just like anybody else that I'm working with, any of my associates, whether I'm department heading or whether I'm the seventh man hired, mm -hmm. you know, I put all of it into it, the process from beginning, middle to end and everything that comes with it. When I'm looking at, you know, a character that I'm, dreaming up in my head and then meet the performer who's actually going to be doing it whether they're wearing a wig a lace front wig that we have to measure them for and takes weeks to build if they're going to be prosthetics involved which a lot of times there are in a lot of the stuff that we do if you're doing sci-fi horror any type of effects kind of makeup that we work side by side oh. With hey, let me ask you this. Though. It's really cool. Kind of perked me up. So, if they have, so it's a full on, you know, Rick it Baker. Depends, yeah, Wait, hang a on a sec. Kind of full, full on, yeah, kind of prosthetic. Like I normally do. Well, like you've done twice. <laughs> so it's got the prosthetic. So you come in and you lay the wig. You have to do the hair on top of it. And right. uh, sometimes and, there's prep work involved before it goes to makeup. So let's say they're wearing a wig. Yeah. So we would do. A fracture wrap. A fracture wrap is sort of like how you see in movies when you've had brain surgery. Mm -hmm. So we will flat wrap your hair as tight as possible on your head. Mm -hmm. And then we will put a wig cap on, okay? Yeah. And then you go to prosthetics, and then you get the appliances, whether it's a forehead, mm -hmm. nose. It's all appliances. Yeah. It could be one piece, could be five pieces, it could be ears, it could be a lip, it could be anything. And then you come back to us and we put. Now, if you're doing a bald cap, we get that ready for you by using a product that's called Gafquat, and we slick the hair back, 
has mm. to be super smooth, no air bubbles, no grooves or nothing because you're putting on latex, which now becomes yeah. a bald cap like, like Smoother yeah. or Telly Savalas. Mm -hmm. Telly Savalas was bald, Gene Hackman <laughs> or a bald cap. Yeah. Love Gene Hackman, by the way. Lex Luthor. Yeah. So, yeah, typically, and we work hand-in-hand hand with makeup, straight makeup, as we call it, FX makeup, that creature-type stuff that, yeah. that we love cool. to get into it, whether it's werewolves, vampires. I mean, you, you get real excited, you know. I get real excited about that kind of stuff when there's, you know, not so much the blood and gore, which is always fun. It just gets you dirty. I don't mess too much with it, but I do when I have to, you know, apply it to anything that has hair on it. Yeah. You know, like, for example, facial hair, mm -hmm. that's a makeup department thing. A lot of times makeup will ask us to address it, mm -hmm. but in, in the parameters of what each department does, sideburns and facial hair, because it's on your face, yeah. is a makeup thing but usually we take it on anything that's on your head mm -hmm. comes to us right gotcha. yeah let me ask you this do you question yourself going into a gig not usually okay <laughs> i have to be honest i want you to be honest you know that's part of when you started out to now what you know part of what i'm asking is yeah. is, the, is the journey yeah listen <laughs> i've taken meetings in a room where i walk into a room and there's 20 people in the room and i'm wondering 20 people yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And look, I'm not emotionally attached to this. Or you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I often go into these rooms and I often have, whether it's a producer, a showrunner, the director, actors, this, wardrobe, it doesn't matter. And, you know, people will often judge a book by its cover. Sure, I can walk into the room and people are going to go, a lot of times I show up on day one on set, and the Teamsters, I'm asking for a trailer. They think I'm talent. I'm not talent. I'm the hair guy. Yeah. You know? That's a story we need to get to, Teamsters. Don't forget that. I always get the Teamsters' names yes. when they're driving me from the trailer to the set. Always get names. Teamsters are everything. <laughs> but, sure, there's all of that stuff, you know. It, it's the, the process is everything. So, you know, we take... You know, each department has its thing. But I walk into the room, and a lot of times people will look at me and eyeball me and think, well, you know, this guy looks the part. <laughs> yeah. It's dressed nice. And it's like in their minds, you know, they're like, oh, I wonder if that's John Barbados or, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, so it's just, that's how Hollywood is sometimes. You know what I mean? You walk yeah. in the room, it's just like, you know, you're taking this interview. and sure you're open to discussions and everything. You know, again, like I said, do I second guess myself? You know, I go into it with confidence because I know going into the meeting what my capabilities are. Mm -hmm. And I know what I can commit to and what I can't commit to. Yeah. Now, here's how I approach that. I give you what I can commit to, but I can provide you. Mm. So at the same time, I'm a fixer yeah. in a sort of ways. You know, a gas on my credit sometimes that is, uh, unfortunately, I've had to take over shows at a mid-production, mid middle of a season. I come in at the beginning of the new season, and friends of mine were there before. Yeah. You know, who lost the power? Yeah. So, a lot of times you look the part. Can you do the job? And I always say, well, gentlemen, ladies, 
you know, don't let my appearance deter you from hiring me or thinking about hiring me. Challenge me. Put me to the task and let me prove it to you. It's in my work. Yeah. You know, I don't have to have those conversations too often anymore. At my age, you know, I'm cruising. Yeah. I'm 60, five years shy of retirement. I've done pretty good. You yeah. know, I'll always be involved in the business somehow. But I also take my department, I think, like a producer, because I am producing. Mm. I have a budget, I have a cast, I have a schedule. I do all these things. So I'm multitasking, but I also build a team that works with me. If you do the work and the director says, yo, Dre, fuck, man, exactly what I was looking for. I always say, thank you so much. I'll make sure that my associate, Jackie, knows that you've acknowledged her work. I take credit for my work, but never for anyone else in my department. Sure, I've coordinated it. I've brought it to life. Yeah. You know, you have to have a humble approach to the process. <laughs> yeah. And because somebody took the time and you have to pay it forward in the manner in which you received that gift. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You saying being emotionally attached, like you're not emotionally attached in those rooms. You have um, options. Uh, yeah. We've been working on this comedy project for like the last two and, two and a half years, almost three years. And like it's finally to the part where like I have the sizzle. I'm about to start sure. going in those rooms, showing it. So, yeah. but it's been like I've written it, produced it. Like I feel like yeah. I am very emotionally attached to it, and sure. I'm trying to like pull myself away from that, so I'm not like right. in the room flustered or like sure. getting over. I don't know, overstepping. That yeah, line. well, you have you're a brand. You have this material that you've worked on, that you've given your all, you're passionate about it. All your aspirations, everything is on those pages. Yeah. It's the character, whether it's the character that has evolved from within you mm. as you, your personality, all of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when I say emotionally attached, you know, the project is the project. It's mm. like, I say that because... I'm not emotionally attached. I don't yeah, know not, you. Yeah. Sure, I care about the project, and I can get attached to that. Mm -hmm. But you have options. Yeah. You know, and I always encourage people explore your options. I've taken many interviews where I've gotten the job or where I haven't gotten the job, and there are reasons why I didn't get the job. There's certain things that I've learned over the years, what to gravitate towards and what to attract like-mindedness to you know because they say attract like-minded people mm -hmm. and you'll be in an incredible creative camp yeah you know think of it like you go into a board meeting there's this long square table and everybody's sitting around it and one dude at the end barking yelling throwing things uh you know think of it like uh john peters <laughs> peter goober <laughs> Good cop, bad cop. What an incredible history those two have had. John Peters was once a Hollywood hairdresser. Mm -hmm. Fucking hero. You know, produced shampoo. The story's not about him. It's about Gene Shakov, another famous Hollywood hairdresser. But no, I thought it was about John Peters. It has something to do with him, but, no. but anyways, he's an incredible uh, producer. Anyways, you know, you learn 
along the way from hearing stories and watching history, and history repeats itself, you know what I mean? I like the classics, and I like the behavior of, of all the craftspeople during that era. Not to say that the craftspeople now are not as classic, but I'm just saying, you know, I grew up on black and white, you know. My aunt was in the business, you know. She's buried in Westwood Mortuary next to her and my grandmother in a crypt this way, and Marilyn Monroe's this way. Buddy Rich, Natalie Wood, you know, and you wonder, how did she get, like, how did she end up, you know? And I just remember coming, you know, people like Joey Bishop mm -hmm. coming over to my house and keeping me in stitches, you know? I swam in Burt Lancaster's swimming pool when I was eight years old. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, and, and to me, that makes me appreciate this town and the neighborhood I live in and the friends that I have that I've kept my whole life, you know, sure, some come and go. And, you know, we separate and we go off and we get married and we start our careers and we sell shoes and ping pong tables and whatever it is you're selling, lawn furniture. And then we come together. Sometimes it takes terrible events to bring us back together and we, we swear we're never going to allow that time to be so long, you know. The journey is an incredible journey. You can't have any regrets or resentments. You know, I'm here today with you just like you are with me. And there's a reason why we've journeyed this journey, you know. Mm -hmm. And our stories are just stories that, you know, we talk about. we got a lot of them. Storytelling. I, I think that's a, that's a good place to wrap up, Dre. It was... Uh, well, thank you very much for having me. Dude, yeah. it was a hell of an experience. Incredible. And who's that guy over there again? Uh, that's Scott oh, Williams. That's Scott. Oh, that's right. No, no. You can just look into the camera, and you if know. you haven't yet, you don't have yeah. anything? As, as far as the work that I've been doing lately, you know, I, I was, it was a privilege to be a part of uh, Star Trek Picard for three seasons. Mm -hmm. Season one... I was hired as uh, background hair, just doing all the background performers. Season two, by the by, end of season two, beginning of season three, I moved up to the key position. It's a running joke in town. Seventh man hired gets to be the key. But I had great time uh, working on that, you yeah. know. I was in charge of Vulcans, my favorite, you know, stuff like that. Uh, I was working on a film... Um, Michael Keaton directed uh, Knox Goes Away with uh, Al Pacino. Awesome, dude. You know, yeah. it was a fun one. He directed Keaton. It was fun watching that process. Incredibly gifted man. And, uh, you know, gave a lot of his time on that set. I had a really good time on that. Cool. Yeah, I'm looking so forward he, to that. He's come out. a long way from Mr. Rogers. Well, <laughs> that Mr. Mom. Yeah, with Mr. Oh, yeah. Rogers is a great story when he worked on that, just being a young dude in Pittsburgh. So, but he's I, he's one of my favorites. He's one oh, of my yeah. all-time favorites. Incredible. Anything. So yeah. Michael Keaton is. And he's he a was, badass. He was the best guest on Letterman. Best guest on Letterman. I got forty-five hundred Letterman's on tape. Oh, and he was on a bunch of times, but the way they went, Michael Keaton was the my best ever. My favorite movie that he did was Pacific Heights. I was talking about Pacific Heights. Yeah. I was talking that about was, mul yeah. multiplicity. Matthew Modine, and Matthew I forget Modine. who the female lead was. Yeah. But yeah. Wow. Yeah. Scary guy in that. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. It was great, you know, talking about the well, town, the business. And 
And on the phone, you told me, I hope I don't embarrass myself, and you didn't. You did a great fucking job. I'm really yeah. impressed. I didn't give away any names, did no, I? No, you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> or the dead bodies, right? Right. We know where they're, where they're buried. Or Pan Pacific Park. Yeah. yeah. So. Thank you, brother. Thank all you. Right. If you sure. stop talking long enough for me to say, I think you did a great job, and I'm really proud to know you all these years, and you've become a great man and a great artist. So uh, thank you for being here. And thank you for that.